Hey, good morning. It is great to be with you. Great to be with everybody down at Mullaloo. Can we give a big clap for everybody down at Mullaloo? Everybody watching online, let's give them a clap. I love that we are part of a, a church community, a tribe. We can be in all different places, uh, but we're all journeying in the same direction. And a huge welcome again to anybody, if you're new watching online, never been with us before, if you're uh, new here at Marowa or Malu, welcome. We're so glad uh, that you're here with us and hope you know this is a place you can just relax, be yourself, and, uh, and we're going to have a great morning together. Uh, we are in a series. One of the ways we're journeying together as a church, if you've been around, is we are reading through the Gospel of Matthew together. Uh, The Gospel of Matthew is the good news according to Matthew, the guy who put it together. It's like a biography of Jesus. uh, And Matthew is trying to help us understand what was Jesus' central message, the good news of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And how every one of us can know life and purpose and direction when we come to understand the good news uh, that Jesus has for us. And so we've been reading through it. And uh, one of the fun things about uh, the way we're doing this, just reading through every day, if you've been reading through the Gospel of Matthew, I mean, this thing takes us all. You get such a big, glorious, beautiful picture of Jesus' life, his teaching, his ministry, all these things. And uh, one of the fun things about preaching through is it means you don't really know what you're going to end up preaching on on a given Sunday. And I'm excited about what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, If you've been in the readings yesterday, today, the next couple of days... We are in a chunk of Scripture, and so we're going to hit almost a whole chapter today, Matthew 24, that's sometimes called the Olivet Discourse. It is a point to which Jesus kind of sits down, his disciples ask him some questions, and he's going to talk about some pretty big things for two whole chapters. And we can't hit it all, so we're going to hit part one this morning. And then if you want to follow up on the second chunk of it, uh, we're going to be hitting part two uh, at our city campus tonight. Come on down, join us there, or you'll be able to catch that online. But I'm going to read our scripture to start off Matthew 24 this morning. And then we're going to dive into it. Matthew 24 begins with this. Jesus has just left the temple. He's been, uh, he's been giving some pretty tough uh, words to some of the leaders there. But he says it, it says this. Jesus left the temple. And he was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call attention to its buildings. The temple was almost like a wonder of the world. One of the most uh, incredible structures in the whole Middle East that the world almost says they knew it at that time. So his disciples like, hey, check this out. This is pretty amazing. Jesus says, do you see all these things, he asked? Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. So they've kind of heard him say this. And they come privately and they say, tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And here Jesus will speak in the most extended time he does about something that many of us know is the return of the king, of Jesus returning to this world. And I want to pray, and then we're going to dive into these scriptures together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel of Matthew and the teachings that you have left here for us. And I pray that as we come to your word today, wherever we may be or find ourselves today, I pray that your Holy Spirit might speak to us through your word. And I pray that God, as we do that, you would guide us, you would direct us, and you would lead us deeper into the life you dream and desire for each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What a question. 
What a question. What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Now, show of hands, just curious, how many people, you may be a person of faith, uh, you may uh, be their first time in church. You may be someone who's actually opposed uh, to faith and thinks it's a bunch of nonsense. How many people have put your hand up if you've ever heard about the idea that Jesus will return in this world? Just a hand up wherever you are down at Malu online. You know, if this is something that whatever your position of faith, many people have heard about this idea. But yet sometimes it can be very difficult. Uh, People, I won't make you put your hands up, but some people feel confused by the idea. Uh, some people feel like it must be a bunch of nonsense in our world. Uh, some people uh, hear the idea and they think, uh, I'm not even sure what to make of this idea. But here in this moment, Jesus' disciples are asking him, can you give us a sign? Can you help us understand what will be the end of the coming, of the end of this age, is this world as we know it going to come to a close, how we know it, and, and what will be the signs of it? And ever since this point, around the world, people have often uh, asked the same questions of how can we know when kind of the end of the world uh, will come. I was at a Christian youth camp somewhere in the late 80s or early 1990s, and I know that because I know it was before the year 1995, because at this particular camp, I remember being there and a speaker uh, he was talking about all kinds of things about faith, and he said this, that Jesus will return by the year 1995. 95. Now, I want you to put yourself in my shoes. This is uh, late 80s, early 90s. I'm about 12 to 13 years old. In 1995, I will be 17 years old. And I get told Jesus is going to return in 1995, or in other words, the message translation, right before all the fun stuff in your life is going to happen. <laughs> Why would you do that? I don't know exactly what his purpose was. Maybe it was to encourage us to not, you know, do some of the things that maybe we might want to do as teenagers. But instead it made me think I better do them all before 1995. And uh, so I remember vividly that this, this kind of moment, and actually what he said in his reasoning at the time was, uh, and this is something that does come out of Scripture. He says, you know, the, the Scriptures say that one of the things that will help us know it's time for the end is the good news will go out into all the nations of the world, and then Jesus will return. That's part of Scripture. And he was confident that that would happen due to advances in technology and all these kinds of things. Now, here's what I know about that moment. Uh, in the moment, it was a, a quite a striking, shocking thing for me. And then uh, a couple things happened. Uh, one, it made me a little bit uh, panicked. Like, this is crazy. This is like, whoa. And so sometimes you can hear this stuff about, like, the end of the world or Jesus coming. And, again, you, you may be a person who's never come to church. And you're like, this is the kind of stuff that is just, I find just bizarre to even think about. It just seems crazy. Uh, or this is stuff for, like, a, somebody in the middle of Times Square with a sign. Like, I just, that's, this is just that kind of thing. Uh, you know, and a part of me was like, well, this is kind of crazy. And then all of a sudden it was like, well, wh what's going to happen? And then a second thing happened. Instead of being panicked, a part of me just kind of was able to go, but I don't know. I think God's pretty good and I'm not going to worry too much about it. And then a third thing happened. I just got totally distracted by all the other things of teenage life and I didn't think about it ever again. Until somewhere after 1995 that I went, hey, he didn't come back. Woo! <laughs> you know, it's kind of one of those. But my... My uh, suggestion to you today, wherever you're at, from, whoa, this seems like nonsense, to this seems crazy, 
to other people I've known over the years, it becomes a very focal point in life. Wait a second. We should be focused on this. We should know. We should try and work this out. There are all kinds of approaches. My encouragement to you today will be when we understand Jesus' teaching, because we've been going through the gospel of Matthew. It's the good news of the kingdom of God. This is the best possible news for humanity, for all creation. And a key part of it is going to be understanding the return of Jesus. And if every one of us can actually today, so I'll, I'll ask you, whatever your kind of take on it, nonsense, uh, crazy, obsessed with it, whatever it is, I'm going to ask you to kind of park that or hold it for a minute and see if together we can look and see how actually the good news that Jesus is going to spell out for us here is, is great news. And it was great news for me. It could have been anyway, depending how I understood it when I was 12 or 13. It's great news today, and it's going to be great news uh, for as long as, as it should take. And Jesus says these words. The disciples say, they ask this question first. What is the sign uh, that they say that this will happen? In other words, that the temple will be destroyed. And so if you're someone who's reading through this scriptures with us, as you read through Matthew 24 and 25, and I encourage you to, uh, if you're not, you can die, jump on the reading plan, get off the website, or just start reading through it. Just join us. It's great to read. Don't take what I'm saying here. Get into the scriptures yourself. But uh, when you read it, Jesus, these are a confusing couple of chapters. So I know for many of you who are reading it, I wanted to hopefully help you as you try and navigate some of what's here. The disciples ask this question, what's going to be the sign? They ask it two parts, that the temple will be destroyed, because Jesus says all this, this, you know, this thing's a wonder and a marvel, but he says, I'm telling you that not one stone will be left on another. And he's effectively uh, prophesying what would come true about 30, 40 years later in 70 AD when uh, the Romans would destroy the temple, uh, and, and, and it literally would end up not one stone left on another. Uh, and... And so they ask that. And then they also ask it tied to this second question, what will be the sign of the end of the age? This, so they, for them, these two things kind of went together. But Jesus is going to now, and the reason Matthew 24 can be a little challenging to understand is he's going to address two things. One is the immediate reality of the sign of the, the temple is going to be destroyed. And he's going to talk about some things that will happen right there and then in their lifetime that were important for them to understand. But he's also going to talk about his appearing. This idea that Jesus is telling them and helping them understand he will return. They're still trying to understand all of Jesus' teaching and what he was going to do and the cross. All these things don't make sense yet, but he's going to start trying to help them understand there will come a point when he appears. The word in Greek is perusia. There will be an appearing where Jesus will return in this world. He came first as a baby in a manger, and he will come again one day as the king who returns. And so when we understand a little bit of where their questions are coming from, it will help us understand some of what Jesus says. Jesus then starts telling them, okay, uh, it, the, and this is my message for you today, is everything you need to know about the return of Jesus. Now, how great is that to come to, like, people have written books and books, and, I mean, there's commentary. You can find, like, a, go to a library, a, a theological library, and you'll find volumes. But today, uh, in the next 20 minutes or so, I'll give you everything you need to know. And uh, thank me later, Okay. Thank me later, but I just want you to, you know, I don't want to be too ambitious here, but I thought I might. So Jesus says this. Uh, in verse 4, he starts to talk about this. He's, his first thing is he says, look out, don't be deceived, don't get confused, don't let anyone uh, kind of confuse you about this. And then he says this in verse 6, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end, that point at which I return, is still to come. 
Uh, actually, the end of the temple he's still talking about here. The end in terms of the temple is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Now, here is uh, two things are going to happen. One, you'll notice this. That Jesus, when they say the end of the age, Jesus doesn't say, no, 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 don't worry. Things are just going to go on as they always will. No, no, no. He says, yes, there will be an end to the age. There will come this time, ultimately and eventually, when he will return. And he starts to tell them uh, about a bit of what life will be like in the interim. Uh, And he talks about this idea of wars and rumors of wars. And he talks about there being uh, famines and earthquakes. and, And he says all these things are the beginning of birth pains. And again, there's sort of a twofold angle. One, all of these things would start to be fulfilled in the disciples' lifetime. These things would happen and be experienced if you go back to the next 10 to 20 years of history. And they lead up to the original question, the destruction of the temple. And they also, though, characterize a lot of what life on planet Earth will be like in general until the end of this age. I can remember, again, back in the 90s, and there was so much talk about a lot. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was just part of, like, you know, uh, the nature of the era or something. But about the different wars or things that are going to happen. And so these are all signs that we're getting close to the very end. Do you know one of the things you see about Jesus' teaching is these are the things that are just part of life on planet Earth until he returns. There's never really been a time there haven't been wars. There's never really been a time. There have not been earthquakes and famines. And so the first thing that, here's the first thing we need to know about Jesus' return is simply this. That Jesus will return. We sometimes think, uh, and people, we can get focused on too much of when will he return. That was the disciples' original question. But Jesus will not go so much into the when, but he will make it clear he will return. And life in this world, instead of worrying about, you know, here's the date or the time or the year or the century or all these things, Jesus more or less gets us prepared for a world in which life will have its challenges. There will be a lot of really difficult things that happen in this life. But these things are, they're part of, they're part of the birth pains. There's something greater coming. There's something greater coming. And the key here is not to uh, uh, get so focused on the when, but the one part of this, because I've heard people expound and many times on, uh, you know, what the wars are and which earthquakes are what and the famines and all these things. And, and lots of people have tried and they've gone all different directions and different intricate details about different parts of this. But do you know the one part that probably stands out the most is what Jesus says, which is this. Don't be alarmed. (laughs) Do you know if you're a follower of Jesus, our hope in his return is something that many translations bring it out. Don't panic. Knowing that there is a God who created all things, who is over all things, who came into this world so that we could know how much he loves us, is with us, is for us. And he has a plan that will prevail across history. Uh, We're not supposed to worry about all the rough stuff that happens to some degree. Of course, we seek to address challenges with love in this world. But we are not supposed to panic at the challenges we face. Jesus says, don't be alarmed. You know, instead of uh, focusing on on, oh, maybe it'll happen here. Man, here. Well, how will that happen? How will this happen? Jesus says, don't panic. Do you know what should characterize people who have faith in Jesus? 
what should characterize those of us who have embraced the good news of the kingdom of God. We should just be the poster children for, like, keep calm and carry on. <laughs> Jesus is in charge. You know, I've met so many who the different challenges well. And let's, you know, the other night we were, um, we made uh, tacos for dinner on Friday night, as we uh, often like to do. And uh, we were having tortillas, and I don't know if this was true or not, but we had tortilla shells. I think they were old El Paso. There's only, like, a couple brands you can get, right? And uh, we opened them up, and we were like, are these tortilla shells, like, smaller than they used to be? And we opened up the tortilla shells, and we began, uh, Levi and myself, to go, I know why. It's because of uh, COVID, you know, <laughs> and I, I bet the tortilla shells, are not, you know, maybe it's because of the war. It's probably the war, you know, or maybe it's because of, and we started just going through all the things. I don't know, maybe it's because of the, the hurricane. Like, anybody looked at the news lately? You're like, gee whiz, it's a bit of a rough spot out there, <laughs> isn't it? You know, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's global warming caused the tortilla shell. I don't even know. We live in a really challenging era, and we kid ourselves if we, you know, try to paint it anything other than that. But we do ourselves an extraordinary disservice if we allow those things to cause us to panic. We do ourselves and our king and our faith and our hope in him. Jesus says, hey, don't be alarmed. Don't panic. These things, he says, they, they must come. He says they're the beginning of birth pains. It's, it's going to be challenging moments and times to be sure. Yet the kingdom of God, as you read through the whole of the gospel of Matthew, it's like a mustard seed that's also growing and expanding. And yes, there's these weeds that are growing, but the harvest of the kingdom's growing alongside it. And Jesus here is just saying, so don't, don't be alarmed. In this world, you will have trouble, he says in John, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Be a people of great peace. You know, one of the things we need to know, this first thing is that we can know he will return and that confidence that he will return, that he has purposes, that he is working out, that history is not aimless, is what can fill us as followers of Jesus in the midst of extraordinarily trying times to be people of great peace, people of great, uh, not given to panic, people who, you know what, when the supermarket shelves, the toilet paper starts flying off them. We should be walking around going, it's all good. <laughs> Just kidding, I don't know. That was a funny picture in my head. Like, I don't know what we do without the toilet paper, to be fair, anyway. But we just, oh, man, we're not supposed to panic. I know that. So this is the first thing we need to know. Jesus will return. And in the meantime, we're not to panic. Does that sound good to anybody? Now, the second thing. Uh, that's kind of helpful here, is uh, this idea. It says in, in verse 14, if you're trying to get some big picture understanding of this. Now, uh, actually, uh, he says this in verse 14. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, this passage, again, uh, it, it, you know, back in the early 90s, this was one of the things he said was because this will happen, then automatically if we can hit that at that point, then Jesus will return. Uh, and the fact is there are still people groups around the world who have not yet heard the good news of Jesus. And so we as followers of Jesus, a huge part of why he's left us here is to continue to be part of his work of sharing the good news with all people, all nations, all around the world. And, uh, but this passage reminds us of, of, I guess, this reality that, you know, there is a space that's been created. And so we are to live our lives with great purpose here and now. 
So we can know that, that, yes, there is good news. Jesus will return. We can be at peace. We don't have to be panicking. And we can live our lives with purpose and know that actually our hope is that all people could come to know the good news of the kingdom of God. I just want to share that with all people. God has created this space so that all people would have opportunity to respond to him, to his offer of, of love and grace and goodness of what he's done in Jesus. And then in the next section, he goes on and he talks a lot about, uh, and so if you're someone who's read this, you'd be familiar with these verses, but he starts to talk about this idea of, of the desolation in the temple. And he starts to talk about uh, people needing to flee to the hills. And he starts to talk about how dreadful it will be for pregnant and nursing mothers. And what he's describing are circumstances that would happen exactly within the lifetime of his disciples leading up to uh, the Roman war on the Jewish people, the siege of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple that would happen within their lifetime, just as he said it would happen. Sometimes people have pulled those, and again, because Jesus is dealing with two different questions, it can be a little bit challenging to kind of work out what he's doing here. But you can see through the context, and this is kind of just for those of you, especially as you read through this, you can see uh, that, you know, he's, he's talking about fleeing Judea and, and circumstances very specific that get fulfilled in a very specific way when the temple was destroyed. And then he comes, I guess it shifts gears again, where he starts to talk about this, uh, this reality that he will come. And in verse 36, this is the, one of the other things we have to know. He says, verse 36, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, not even you two, but only the Father. And I had to throw in YouTube because I don't know how many videos I've been sent on YouTube that are confident in when Jesus will return. And I wanted to just flag that for you to say if you have some of those videos, please send them to Ryan Clue. Ryan C. at truenorthonline.com. He's curious. I'm just going to go ahead and sit and be comfortable with what Jesus said here. No, just kidding. And, uh, and, and this is no... Uh, no, uh, uh, you know, if you're someone who enjoys videos and, and things on this, I, I, you know, my point is not to say that's a bad thing. But my point is this. The what, if you want to know what we need to know, what Jesus says we need to know, is he makes it super clear. No one knows. He literally says, not even the sun. And we do ourselves a great disservice by trying to predict exactly when Jesus will come. Because what he was concerned most about wasn't if we could figure out and know uh, the signs of the times, uh, it, that, that if only we could read those. No, these things, there's always going to be wars, there's always going to be famines, there's always going to be earthquakes, always going to be challenges, adversity, the beginning of the birth pains. These kinds of things will characterize life on planet Earth. But he says no one knows that time, only the Father. And that should give us, again, great peace and comfort because we know that God is working out his purposes. And it's what allows us to become a people who are living life at peace in this world because we're not worried about, you know, Jesus' disciples thought it would happen in their lifetime and every generation of followers of Jesus since. And so uh, because what Jesus says is all these things will be fulfilled in this lifetime. In other words, within Jesus' disciples' lifetime, anything that had to happen, happened. So yes, Jesus' big picture is it could happen at any point. But the point isn't to now get focused on that and wonder when. No, he, because God, he has purposes. He is working out over history. And we must allow him 
uh, and trust ourselves to him and find our peace and hope. Just knowing, wow, there's a great God who's at work. History is not aimless. Life is not pointless. God is, is working out his plans and purposes. And here is, so the first thing we've got to know is that it will happen. Jesus will return. This is our hope. Uh, the second thing is to know that no matter what, we will not know when. And then the third thing to know is this. And that is what do we do in the meantime. So Jesus he actually tells this little story immediately after this, and he says, you know what, when he does return, it's going to be a bit like this. It's going to be like there's two people out in the fields, one's working, one gets, one all of a sudden is taken, and the other one's left there. It's going to be like there's two uh, women grinding food, one's taken, the other one's left there. And, and the point isn't to build too much kind of around that, but to say that it, there's going to be a certain element of, it's just going to be surprising. He says it's going to be like the days of Noah, where people were eating and getting married and just doing all the normal life stuff we do. And then there's this kind of, wow, you know, everything changes. That's the, the, the picture Jesus says, you're not going to know when. So what he's going to get at is, how then do you live? And he says in verse 42, therefore, let me hear you say, therefore. therefore. Whenever uh, you see the word therefore in the scriptures, you ask yourself, what's it there for? It's going to tell us. In light of all that, now this. Therefore, keep watch. Let me hear you say, keep watch. Because you do not know. On what day your Lord will come. Keep watch. And he says in verse 45, give us a little bit more picture of this. He says, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. And basically, Jesus says, so therefore, in light of it, don't worry about so much of the stuff people worry about. Don't panic. Be at peace. And, and recognize this. It's like God is, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's like God is the master. And he said, I want you to just be doing what you're meant to be doing. In fact, tonight, uh, in the part two of this message, we're going to be looking at, so what then does it look like to live that way? How do we live with that purpose? Because Jesus goes on to tell several parables to help us get this. But to touch on it this morning is he makes it clear that the work we've been given to do, we do well to do that work. When I was 14 years old, I, th I think I was 14, maybe 13, I had my first job. It was a dishwasher. It was awful. Just dreadful. Can't describe it to you. And back then, minimum wage was five cents an hour, everybody. No, just kidding. That was, I just want to make it look worse than it was. It was like four bucks, though, 4.25. And, uh, uh, I was in this tiny room, and it was hot, and I had to scrub these dish pans for days on end with no light and no food. Anyway, you know how it is. My friend, one of my best friends growing up, Eric, his grandfather owned a furniture shop, and his grandfather uh, graciously offered both my friend Eric and myself a job in his furniture shop to just kind of be shop hands, and we would unload. It was like recliners and lazy boys and couches, and we would unload the boxes. We would do all those kinds of things. We were delivery boys. So we'd carry the boxes. We'd do that. Uh, kind of thing. And uh, one of the things that he maybe didn't count on in the beginning was what a propensity we had to distract one another. I can remember one day we were in the, the storage room and we were uh, just unloading a bunch of, you know, big furniture from these big boxes and cutting it open. And, and he was like, hey, I know, why don't you climb in the box and I'll tape you up in there. And it'll be like you're going, that's an awesome idea. I love it. 
And I'm like, oh, I've got this box cutter in my pocket. And I know what I'll do is I'm going to have him put me in there. But then I'm going to cut like a silhouette of myself. It's going to be really cool, like a movie. It'll be like, you know, in a cartoon. I'm going to cut this silhouette. And I pictured me cutting it perfectly to like who I was. And then I'm going to push open that, that silhouette. And then I'll just step out and he'll see me. It's going to be amazing. Like, it was a great plan, right? And I remember sitting there and I'm cutting it and I'm cutting it and I'm cutting it. And then I kick it open and I, I step out and, and there's our boss, his grandfather. And <laughs> instead of being greeted by like his laughter and the joy of that moment, I look up and there he is just staring at me. And, and his grandfather was, a, a, he was an amazing man, kind man, good man. And, and he was not a harsh man, but he didn't even have to say anything, you know? Like, I, he just like, I, man, and he's just staring at me. He had the look, he had the posture, all of it. And I remember some reason mustering, all I could do was I go, it was his idea. <laughs> and that kind of became our catch call, where periodically we'd find ourselves distracted. And, uh, and we would take rolls of carpet and be beating one another with them, and it was just uh, his idea, you know. And we, this is the best I could muster. And, you know, here's the thing is that we often, you know, his grandfather had said to us to do jobs. He would say, here's what you're meant to be doing. But the nature of who we are as people, and uh, in particular who we are when we're about 14 years old, is we can be quite prone to distraction. We can be quite prone uh, to, you know, just different things, capturing our attention. Like, I know I was supposed to just be unloading this furniture. I know I was supposed to be, like, chopping these boxes up. But, you know, I don't know. Somewhere in there I lost sight of that fact and that you were actually paying me to do those things and thought it would be more fun to cut myself out of the box, you know. And I say, oh, I'd say, this is what Jesus says. So in light of all this, the fact that Jesus will return, we are to not be distracted. And it's not because the God is like some harsh cosmic policeman who's just waiting to get us. Do you know my friend's grandfather, the great thing was, he wasn't like a harsh man. He wasn't like mean. He didn't fire me. I don't know why he never fired me. You know, it's just, he was a gracious man. And, uh, but his point was he didn't want us to have fun, but his point was he had, he actually had, he had, there was a purpose we were there for. And one of the things I loved about him is I learned so much from him about work ethic, about how to conduct yourself, about how to relate to customers. He literally taught me how to vacuum properly. And to this day, 30 years later, I can hardly vacuum a carpet without thinking about how he showed me to do it and how many times you go back and forth and all these things. He had purpose for us. And when we lose sight of our purpose, then it's just so easy to be distracted. And the goal of understanding the good news that Jesus will return is, again, please don't hear this because this is not it. Oh, you should make sure you're doing the right thing so if he shows up, you don't get caught. No, not that is not the point. But there is a certain gravity that comes to know, wow, I have been created, and I've been created with purpose, and my heavenly Father loves me and is for me. My life has been bought at a price. My life is not aimless. History is not aimless, and my life is not aimless. I've been given purpose. I have a, a reason for being in this world to be part of seeing God's kingdom advance. And when we remember that, in fact, life will not just go on forever just as it is and this is all there is, then we're reminded to live our lives with the purpose that God has created them for. We're reminded that we should make the most of the time we've been given in this world. Martin Luther, the 
great reformer had this saying. He always said, there are two days on my calendar. He said, that day, he's talking about the day Christ returns, the day it all comes to an end and, and God's plans come to their ultimate fulfillment. He says, there's that day and then there's today. And life is meant to be lived, life is meant to be lived not focused on that day. Not supposed to sit around, what will be, when, when, all those things. No. Life is meant to be lived today. Because today is the moment that we can experience God's love. Today is the day we can extend God's love. Today is the day we can make the most of the time we've been given. But we live also with one eye on that day. That reminds us, today is not all there is. The stuff we get so consumed with on a day-to-day basis is not all there is. It is so easy to get wrapped up in the stuff of life as if today is all there is. And so we just end up living for today and we grab hold of stuff and we get consumed by stuff. And, and me first here, this is it. No, you know, it's so easy to get wrapped up in the stuff of this life and lose sight of it's not just today. It's that day. And we're to live with one eye. We're to live with one eye on that day. Making the most of today. Because today is the moment of God's blessing. Today is the moment to know God's love. Today is the moment to share God's love. Today is the moment not to get too consumed with what is just in front of me right now. You know, in a moment, we are going to take communion together. And uh, if you're watching online, you can grab a bit of bread or, or a cup of something to drink if you want to join with us. Communion is the moment that we remember there was a day when Jesus went to the cross for us. There was a day when we realized he, he came into this world. He had a body. It was his, the, the bread represents his body that was broken for us, the cup, his blood that was poured out for us. And it is a symbol of us being reminded that our lives, if you're a person of faith, when you eat the bread, and you drink the cup, it is a declaration that my faith, my reason for being, my life is now wrapped up in Jesus and who he is. And I'm so thankful and grateful. It's called Eucharist. It means Thanksgiving. It's a celebratory meal. Thank you, Jesus, for all you've done for me. So when we come to the table, that's why we come. Say thank you, Jesus, for all you've done. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, Paul, when he's describing eating this meal, he says, and whenever we do this, whenever we eat that bread and drink that cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We eat it, and we don't just look backwards at what he's done. It helps us keep one eye on him. One day he will return. Therefore, how now will I live? And I want to invite you in this moment as you eat the bread and drink the cup, if you're a person of faith here with us today, to create some space to say, Jesus, would you help me to allow this good news that you will one day return? Will you help me to let that truth sink so deep in my heart that I live my life not just thinking about today and and tomorrow and what's on the calendar this week and what's got to be done and those plans, but actually to live today in light of that day. Would you proclaim as death knowing it's until he comes he will come again if you're a person who's experiencing great difficulty and adversity in your life as you eat this bread and drink that cup 
Let it remind you to say, I thank you, Lord, that this moment is not all there is. I have hope. I have hope that goes beyond today to that day. If you feel tempted to panic or wrestle with that in a world that loves to stoke anxiety and fear all around us, if you wrestle with that, maybe make part of your prayer this morning, Lord, would you help me to dislodge fear and anxiety and take on the peace and goodness of the kingdom, confident in that day. So wherever you are, I'm going to invite you to stand right now. I'm going to invite you to stand. My hope for each one of us is that here in this truth that Jesus will return, something that sometimes it can be tempted to focus too much on it, sometimes tempted to ignore it or lose sight of it altogether, that today we might be able to say together, just Lord Jesus, would you help me to live my life in the glorious, peace-giving, hope-giving, panic-breaking power of the hope of your return. And if you eat that bread and you drink that cup, that is us together declaring our faith is in Christ. And we're going to keep putting our faith in Christ every day until he returns. I'd love to pray for you this morning, and then we're going to create some space. When you're ready, you can just make your way to one of the tables. Invite you to take a few moments of quiet, of reflection. Been listening to me for a little while. I want to invite you to kind of quiet your own heart and say, Lord, is there anything you'd say to me today? What do you want me to take on in my life out of all you have shared with us in your word today. Let me pray for you now. Heavenly Father, as your people, as your church, our faith and our hope is in the Savior, King Jesus. Lord, as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we declare that is our faith. It's in you. And I pray that for each one of us, you might drive home this glorious truth one day we don't know when but we trust that one day you will return and may it bring us life hope peace and purpose in Jesus name amen amen come